Acts chapter 2. Turn in your paper Bibles, turn, in, turn on your electronic Bibles, reach for a Bible up front, and let's have the house lights back up. Please, sir. Thank you. Acts chapter 2. Now, last week, if you remember, we looked at Acts chapter 2, verses, 40 through, uh, verses 14 through 40, and we took a, uh, what I call a 35,000-foot view of that passage, and we broke it down into uh, eight challenges for us as we take the gospel to the world, as, as we are led by the Spirit, what are some uh, challenges we could cons- should consider, some aspects of our discussion with lost people that we can, could, should consider. Well, the next three weeks, we're going to break down Peter's sermon. Uh, we're going to break down Peter's sermon into three sections. Uh, this morning, we're looking at verses 14 through 21 of Acts chapter 2. Uh, if you had uh, Bible study this morning and you use, what's, that's the curriculum we use? Bible studies for life then you talked about Peter this morning and his denial. Uh, his denial a few months before uh, the crucifixion when he told Jesus he wouldn't let him go to the cross and Jesus called him Satan. And uh, then this morning we looked at the uh, promise that Jesus made to him. Look, you're going to deny me three times before this, is, this whole thing's over anyway. And uh, now we get to see... Not Peter's redemption. We, we really saw that on the beach when Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you, you love me? We, we see that restoration there. This morning, or in this passage, now 50 days after the crucifixion, after the denial, Peter is no longer in denial. Uh, Peter is no longer hesitant to say, yes, I am a disciple of Jesus. Yes, you did see me with him that day. We see the boldness of Peter. Uh, we see exactly what he said in his first letter, First uh, Peter three, chapter three, uh, maybe verse fifteen, where he said, "Be ready in and out of season to give a defense for your faith, give a reason for your faith." Peter was ready in and out of season, and we see that this morning. Going back to last week's sermon, though, you, we're, we're going to see three of those challenges, three of those aspects of, of uh, how we are to handle ourselves in an opportunity to share the gospel that, that we talked about. We're going to see that Peter begins his sermon by correcting the skeptics. They accuse him of being drunk. He's going to correct them uh, as, soon as, he, as soon as he gets up to preach. He's going to immediately go from that correction to Scripture, and he's going to actually use that scripture to correct them. Uh, and it's going to be a context that answered the questions the people had. Far too often, we, we try to answer questions people aren't asking. And Peter, directly from scripture, answers the questions that they are asking. And then we're going to see that for Peter, correction didn't just mean correction, redirection. It meant teaching, meant getting them to understand why they needed to be corrected, what they were missing. Again, that is the, the goal, the, one of the purposes of, of me as a preacher in, in correcting, in, in reproof, as Scripture 
does to us as believers, and as I preach Scripture to correct and redirect, is uh, not just, at ah, you're wrong, stop. It's, hey, this is what we need to understand about Scripture. He's asking the question, what does the Spirit falling mean for us? And that's the, the title of the message this morning, is When the Spirit Falls. Uh, we're still in that, uh, that first church series, the, the, church, the church's call in Acts. But this morning we're looking at when the Spirit falls. And I'll tell you, the, the theme this morning, the, theme, the, the, the uh, idea you need to go away, from, go away from this message with this morning is that because the Spirit falls, every believer, every believer has the power faithfully to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Every one of us has the power, emphasis on that word, power. Not just ability, not just responsibility, but power to share, uh, to faithfully proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's, uh, let's read the passage this morning, Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and proclaimed, it to, uh, proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servant in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the first third of uh, Peter's message. He's primarily, like I said earlier, he is uh, primarily um, correcting the skeptics, using Scripture to do it, but he's also getting to a jumping-off point, that, that his introduction is just that. Uh, nope, you're, you're wrong about that. Let me tell you why you're wrong, but let me get to Jesus just as soon as I can, and we see that in verse 21. But let's look at that first part here, uh, where we get the narrative, we kind of get the setting for this, uh, this sermon. Verses 14 through 16 say, But Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Men of Judah and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. Remember I told you last week, he's making a joke here. Y'all, we're not drunk. That doesn't happen until later in the day. Yeah, that's, that's the joke he's making here. On the contrary... This is what was spoken through Joel. Number one this morning, when the Spirit falls, the leadership acts. When the Spirit falls, the leadership acts. The, the book of what? That we're studying right now? The book of acts. The book of action. The book of doing. The book, the book of what happened after the Spirit fell. And do we live before or after the Spirit fell? There's only one right answer. After. 
So we are still living the book of Acts. When the Spirit falls, the leadership acts. Notice that it says here at the beginning, Peter stood up with the eleven. Uh, this very likely took place in the court of uh, the, the temple area. That would have been the largest area that would have held the, the numbers of people that he talked to, that would have, where these folks would have gathered. So there was uh, this, this idea, and I, uh, there are a lot of churches, we, we don't do this much in churches anymore, uh, used to though, y'all probably remember, all the staff sat on the stage, right? During the preaching, uh, if you go particularly to some of our, uh, our black brothers and sisters' churches, they'll have a choir law full, but it's not the choir. It's, it's deacons and it's uh, uh, associate pastors, and they're all sitting there. The, the leadership of the church sits there not to uh, express authority over the, the people or uh, the pastor, but to lend authority to the message. Yes, we are all up here telling you this is what the Bible says. That's what we see here. Peter stood up with the eleven. I, I, I kind of envisioned them standing behind him as he stepped up to the, well, there wasn't a microphone, but as he stepped up to the point where he could talk to everybody out there. Leadership acted. First point here, leadership has a responsibility to lead. And that seems like, oh, duh, Michael. And, and let me tell you, these next four statements, you're going to say, Michael, you're saying the same thing over and over. Well, I'm going I'm to show you how I'm not, but, but that I am. So you're right and you're wrong. But first point, leadership has a responsibility to lead. What do I mean by that? Leadership is required to step up. Folks, if you're in leadership, whether you are in paid leadership or you are in volunteer leadership, when the Spirit falls, when the Spirit moves on the church, you don't have an option but to respond to the moving of the Spirit and to lead the rest of the church in response to the moving of the Spirit as well. We don't get to sit back and say, well, the Spirit's leading, uh, the Spirit's moving, but you know what? I just don't want to go that direction right now. I just don't want to do this right now. No, we don't have that option. We are required to step up as leadership. Peter had no choice. The eleven had no choice. But when the Spirit fell, they had to lead the other 120 minus 12, uh, 108 that were the church at the time and say, look, folks, the Spirit's fallen. This is what we've got to do. We need to evangelize. They had already been speaking in tongues so that everybody heard. We're going to find out they were prophesying, they were teaching. And Peter stands up and says, this is exactly what should happen, but it's not the end now. We as leadership will lead. Leadership, secondly, is the responsibility of the leaders. Now you're, now you're saying, Michael, you're saying the same thing. No, no. Leadership has a responsibility to lead. It's a requirement. We've got to do it. Secondly, though, it is the responsibility of the leaders. The leadership is the leadership for a reason. The leadership of our church has been called by God and agreed upon, or, and God has been agreed with by the church to place those people in positions of leadership. Therefore, they are the leaders. And if they're leaders, what does that automatically mean is behind them? Followers. Very good. Thank you. 
uh, follow the leader, right? You did it in kindergarten, uh, straight line, here's the leader. We fought to be the leader, didn't we? We all wanted to be the line leader, except some of us that wanted to be in the back so we could drag tail around and, and mess around and play. I don't know anybody like that personally, but I've heard that there are people like that. But we all want to be the leader, but there can't be a whole bunch of leaders. There, are, there is leadership. They are leadership for the, a reason. The Bible sets up clear leadership structure for the church. And who is to lead? Who is to ideally have their hearts and their ears and their mind tuned to God to hear when he speaks, to see and to know and to recognize, y'all, this is the Holy Spirit. I, I, I imagine the 120 could have gone home that day and said, man, that was weird. You know, the Spirit fell, they all spoke in tongues, they, they had the fire kind of looked like fire on their heads, they were glowing, they heard the noise, they sat in the room, boy, that was something. They went to lunch, went home, and took a nap, and that was it. That was the end of it. It was no big deal. If not for the leadership that said, hold on, <laughs> now we've got a responsibility. Now the leadership must lead out. So not everybody can be the leader, but everybody can lead out. Did you hear me? Not everybody can be the line leader. But everyone can lead out. Let's take that kindergarten line. You've got a line leader. You've got 25 kindergartners behind them. That one leader, yes, they all follow him. But what does the second person have to do in order to keep this thing working the right way? He or she has to lead the other 23. And then the third child has to lead the other 22 and, and the next one has to lead the other 21, and the next one has to lead the other. And you see how each person has a leadership role, has a responsibility to lead out for their personal, specific responsibility in that line. The church is the same way. We're not all leaders. We're not all in positions of authority, but we can all lead out. That is what we're learning in Vertical Church, our e-group right now. When you get your newsletter, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, you'll read a little bit about this in my letter to you. But if enough people are leading out, not necessarily leaders, but are leading out, the rest of the church begins to see, wow, I'm not going the same direction as this group. Why not? What am I missing? What am I doing wrong? What am I not getting? Because enough folks lead out and follow the leadership. Thirdly, leadership has a responsibility to re lead. Leadership is the responsibility of the leaders. Thirdly, leadership will be held responsible for their leadership. Don't read on. Don't read the next one yet. That'll, that'll just confuse you more. Uh, leadership will be held responsible for their leadership. There is a higher standard for leaders. I've told you all this before. I will be held to a higher standard for my working and doing in the church than a lot of you will be. A lot of you will be held at a higher standard than a lot of the others. Teachers will be held at a higher standard. Other ministerial staff, pastors, leadership, we will be held to a higher standard. There will come a time when the Lord will say to us, whether it's this side of heaven or the other side or whatever, where the Lord will say, why did you not lead when I fell? Why did you not lead when I sent my Holy Spirit on your church? 
when you saw that I was working, why did you sit there and do nothing and ignore what was going on? Well, the people wouldn't like what I was doing. Or uh, I didn't think it was the right time. Or we didn't have the finances to do it. Or we didn't. And he's going to say, I really don't care about your excuses. I said that when my spirit falls, you do. My spirit fell and you ignored it. That will be on me and other staff and other leaders in the church. We have, uh, we will be held responsible for our leadership. And lastly, leadership must take the lead to respond to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We have got to be out front. Leaders are out front. If I'm telling you to evangelize, I better be evangelizing. If I'm telling you to pray, I better be praying. If I'm telling you to come to church, I better be in church. If I'm telling you to follow Christ, I better be following Christ. Leadership's responsibility is to lead. And we must be out front doing it. That's just the first little passage. We haven't even gotten to his sermon yet. We're just getting warmed up. So next, 28 through 32, the next passage we're going to, I'm sorry, Joel 2, 28 through 32 is what Peter is going to preach to the folks. This is the coming Messiah. That's what this passage is talking about. So he stood up to lead. He's got his text that he's going to preach to him, at least the, the first text he's going to preach to him. And in this text, we see two sides of the same coin, two sides of the Messiah coin, if you will. The first side is salvation that will be, will be brought by the Messiah. And we will see that in verses 17 through 18 of Acts, Acts chapter 2. The other side of that coin is the judgment that will also be brought by the Messiah. We'll see that in Acts verses 19 through 20. Now, the, this judgment is very likely the final judgment. It could include earthly judgments. We see that over and over. So we need to understand, according to verse 21, the last part of the text that, Paul's gonna, uh, that Peter's going to preach from, we need to understand that earthly judgments not the final judgment, but earthly judgments are designed to bring about salvation. That's why Joel can say in his, the, at the end of this passage, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's why Peter will set up the rest of his message with that verse. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, leadership then interprets the Holy Spirit's leading and guides the church. And that's what Peter's doing. The Holy Spirit fell, and he gets up to preach and says, Y'all, let me tell you what this means for us as a church. The 108 or 119 standing behind him, and the 3,000 that will come to Christ here in just a few minutes in the passage. This is what it means when the Holy Spirit falls. And he gets into it, verses 17 through 18. It'll be, in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days, and they will prophesy. Number two, when the spirit falls, everyone has a role. Number one, when the Spirit falls, the leadership acts, but, in, uh, but number two, when the Spirit falls, everyone has a role. This is the salvation side of the Messiah coin right here, verses 17 and 18. Peter says, Joel says, Peter quotes Joel, 
the last days, in the last days, after the Messiah comes. So when does that mean? Now I want some feedback. When does that mean, after the Messiah comes? It meant what? Then and now. Because we're still in the last days. Peter, Paul, those guys, they thought when Jesus said last days, they, they, they were looking in a few months, few years at the most. What we understand is the last days meant from the time Jesus uh, ascended into heaven till the time he comes back, whenever that may be, and there's nothing holding him back right now except God's timing. Whenever that might be, we are in the last days. Now, I'm not one of those that will say, oh, look what's happening in Israel, we're in the last days. Oh, look what's happening in Iraq or with our government or this sign or that sign or that eclipse or this blood moon, we're in the last days. No, no, I know we're in the last days because Jesus said we're in the last days. That's why I know the last, we're in the last days. And the last days may last another thousand years, but we are still in the last days because it could happen today, it could happen tomorrow, or it could happen in 3017. But that does not change our responsibility one whit. That does not change what we are supposed to be doing now or tomorrow or next week or in 3017 because we are in the last days. So it means you and me. In the last days, y'all, we'll put the, our uh, southern inclusive pronoun in there, y'all, you will prophesy. This is inspired utterance. I mean, can you get more inspired utterance than tongues? That was definitely inspired utterance. There will be things that we are led to say, not just as leadership, not just as the 11, so to speak, but everybody will be led to say to bring people to Christ. What's the last verse in this little section from Joel? Everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. That's where we're going with this. Prophecy, inspired utterance. First one was tongues, but all those tongues, every time it mentions what will happen, it's always going back to prophecy. Peter, or Joel rather, talks about dreams and visions, always going back to the prophecy. We will... Uh, have these ideas, we will have these dreams and visions, we'll have new ideas for this new reality. And, and folks, in our culture today and in their culture then, every day it was a new reality. Every time they woke up, excuse me, every time they woke up, it's what Caesar going to do today? What's Pilate going to do today? What's going to happen now? What's the newest persecution at this time of the Jews? In a few years, it's what's the newest persecution on Christians? Every day was a new reality. So every day they were waking up to a new idea of how they could reach their culture for Christ. Did the message change? The answer is no. Did methods change? Oh, absolutely. The, the way you witness in a free country where you have freedom of religion and the freedom to speak is much different from where you uh, witness in a country where you can be killed for being a Christian. The way we witness in America is much different from the way we witness in China. But the gospel is no less powerful in either place because of the method. Because the gospel is the gospel anywhere at any time. So these dreams, these visions, these new ideas for uh, the new reality show up when a youth minister takes 
a couple of van loads of kids 30 miles north to do a, a Bible school for a small little church that can't afford and doesn't have the people to reach the kids in their community. Community That is dreams and visions. When a, a, a vision of a church member to, with a, a heart for ladies in jail when she goes and says, hey, I just want to do prayer requests with uh, the, your ladies that are in jail here, right here in Sulphur, and the police chief tells her, that's great, what we want you to do is lead us church service every Sunday morning. That is the spirit falling, that's the spirit moving, that is a church member, a believer in Christ, following that vision, and getting there and saying, and God saying, ha ha, you thought you are going to do this, but I got some much bigger plan for you, honey. That is what God's do, God does when we have dreams and visions. It's the vision of a, a children's minister to reach an elementary school with an after-school program where we can see 60, 70 to 100 kids come and hear the gospel and basically have most of it, at least the space and the kids, provided for by the federal government because they've got to be there anyway. See, that is dreams and visions. Those are new ideas for a new reality. All, every one of them with the purpose of everyone calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. When the Spirit falls, everybody has a role. Number three, when the Spirit falls, artificial barriers are broken. Look at what Joel said. It will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all people, all humanity. See, this was... A kicker for the Jews. The Jews thought the, the, that God was just for them. And then some of the Jewish Christians thought, okay, well, Jesus is just for us. But in fact, uh, Acts proves it includes the Gentiles. So, you know what? That means the Jews and everybody else. There wasn't like Jews and Gentiles, then Americans, then uh, Europeans. Then, no, no. It was Jews and everybody else. All humanity would be able to receive this spirit once they accepted Christ. Well, he goes on. He says, just, just so you get it, folks, Joel, back in 600 B.C., Peter in 33-ish A.D., just so you understand, it, it's, it's, all humanity means women, not just men, kind of blew their mind a little bit considering the culture of the day, young, not just old, not just the elders, not just those seasoned, wizened uh, folks that had been in it for a long time, but the young. Slaves, and this could mean one of two things. Maybe he's being metaphorical and talking about God's slaves. Or he's saying, no, uh, slaves, we're showing no distinction in status. We're going to go with that second one, not the first one. So slaves showing no distinction in status. Slaves, not just landowners, not just the, the powerful of the day, but the ones who are considered without power, we see that there is no exclusion from the spirit or service based on any external factor. So every Christian in here this morning, every one of you, none of you have any excuse why you cannot serve Jesus with power this morning and tomorrow and the next day. Because I don't think any of you are slaves... But even if you were, you could come to Jesus and find power to share the gospel. I'm pretty sure some of you are women. Some of you are young. So we've got everybody here that he's talking about. Women and men, young, old, slave, free. Y'all, when the Spirit falls, 
artificial barriers are broken down. Maybe, maybe there's some barrier between you and someone else because of race or class or personality or previous relationship. But all of those barriers are artificial. All of those barriers are unnecessary and penetrable because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit falls, those barriers are broken. Number four, still looking at this passage, verses 17 through 18, when the Spirit falls, people break norms and exceed expectations. When the Holy Spirit falls, people break norms and exceed expectations. Have you ever come across someone that you knew them before they got saved, and you knew them after they got saved, and you cannot believe they're the same person? The person before they got saved was quiet, wouldn't speak to anybody, wouldn't look anybody in the eye. And then after they got saved, they are bold. Uh, they're not brash. I don't mean that. They are courageous. They're not itching for a fight, but they are confident in their faith, confident in their Jesus. And they will tell anybody, whether they'll listen or not, about the salvation that they have because God has changed them. See, the, those norms are broken. The, the expectations are exceeded. What does he say in this passage? Sons and daughters who would have been too young to speak for God. Young men whose vision would have been clouded by ambition. Young men will be looking for the future and how I can improve myself. No, young men now have vision that is clear because it is, it is molded, it is inserted by God through the Holy Spirit. Old men, old men no longer have dreams. Old men only have memories. No, not when the Holy Spirit gets them. Old men are planning, 87, 90-year-olds are planning how they go on mission trips in 10 years. Old men are saying, you know what? This is where I got saved. This is the church I grew up in. But I'm about to go. I've got very limited time on this earth. Therefore, I want everything to be done possible that can reach not me, but the 9-year-olds and the 19-year-olds and the 29-year-olds. So if I'm uncomfortable, but the gospel is spreading, that is a vision of an old man who is dreaming and no longer resting on memories that will never come back. That is vision. Slaves, no rights, no privileges, no voice in that day. And yet God will pour out His Spirit on them. The marginalized, the ones that are ignored, the ones that some of us would say they've got nothing to give to anything, God says they've got everything to give because they've got my Spirit. That is what God does when He sends His Holy Spirit. Joel said it. Joel chapter 2. Peter said it, Acts chapter 2, and Paul said it. In the kingdom there is neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female. It is everyone come together in unity for the gospel purpose that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Every believer can serve beyond himself in the power of the Spirit. Every one of us. You think you can't do something for God. Yes, you can. There is nothing that God will call you to do that He will not also empower you to do. 
and he will absolutely, definitely, guaranteed call you to something that you cannot do. So you can glory in the fact that he empowered you to do something that you knew you couldn't do. That is what God will do. Then we get to verses 19 and 20. God says through Joel, and on this day through Peter, I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes. Number five, doom, doom, doom. When the Spirit falls, there will be judgment. When the Spirit falls, there will be judgment. This is the judgment side of the Messiah coin. Notice in your, in your scripture, it doesn't say at the end of verse uh, 18, and they will prophesy, and after a period of years, or centuries, or millennia, I will display my wonders. It's boom, boom. And that's how they were expecting it. They were expecting the Messiah and judgment. No gap. Now, God is not slow, as some would count slowness, but is waiting so that all may come to faith. As many as will, will come to faith. So he is waiting, he is holding back, just so the gospel can go out any more, but uh, go out even more. But that does not mean that we are to rest on our laurels in this gap between salvation and judgment. Because in our minds, there is no gap. We don't have time to say, oh, we've got time. Because when the Spirit falls, there will be judgment. Church, we must be ready. As we discussed this morning in Sunday school, Peter was not ready. Standing around the fire in the courtyard while Jesus was on trial. He was not ready. He got asked a question. I don't know him. Got asked a question, I don't know him. Got asked a question, I told you I don't know him. And the rooster crowed. He was not ready. But 50 days later, that man was ready. They didn't even ask the question and he's answering it. That is boldness. That is faith. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. We must be ready. And this passage, this verses. Uh, 18, uh, 19 and 20 paints a very bleak picture of the end. Now, we can take that passage and we can see some of that happened at the cross. Sky turned dark, we know that. Uh, it's very likely that when the moon came up that evening, full moon, when the moon came up that evening, that it was because of everything else that had gone on that day, that it may have looked blood red. I mean, it was, it was clear that uh, something big was happening that day. It was clear to everyone looking something major was happening. But we know that there's also this apocalyptic idea to what he's saying. He is talking about also the end. When it is over, when the Messiah comes, when the Holy Spirit falls, be ready because after salvation comes judgment. It is a bleak picture. But people hear me. Every part has a purpose. Verse 21 then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Number six, I think the best point, when the Spirit falls, people will be saved. 
When the Spirit falls, people will be saved. Peter is, is quoting the Old Testament here, and he's using uh, here in this verse, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In the Old Testament, and for the hearers of the day, everybody there is thinking Yahweh. Lord Yahweh, that's, that's what they think he's talking about. Well, he's going to make it clear here in just a bit that ain't who he's talking about. There is a Lord they need to serve, they need to bow down to, they need to confess to, and they need to believe in. That is the Lord he's talking about. At the end of the next section, we're going to see he makes that clear. That Lord that I'm talking about is Jesus Christ. And this is where he's going to kind of... Um, twist the knife just a little bit and say the one you crucified the one you handed over to lawless men that same Jesus is the one where we find salvation but folks the point of all of this is the salvation of the lost why did the spirit fall so people would be saved that's it the spirit didn't fall to make a church the church is not the goal the church is a tool I am not a gardener. I, I used to plant stuff, and I'm, I'm okay at it, but as far as just loving the hobby of gardening, like vegetable gardens, I, I, just, I just don't. My grandfather did, both grandfathers did, actually, huge gardens. Uh, as long as they could keep them, as long as their health would allow them, they had gardens. Now, what I do have is a lot of tools. I've got a shed for them. Those tools sit there. I got I got little got a little thing that uh, you scrape weeds with. It's supposed to cut the weeds off close to the roots, and so you have to do it in two more weeks. I I've never quite understood the point. I've got the tool though. I prefer Roundup. If I hit the tree. Well, we'll cut it down when it dies. No no big deal. Um, all those tools. No garden. All the ability, none of the result. You don't go out and buy tools to own. You're not supposed to go out and buy tools just to own the tools. The Holy Spirit didn't just come so you could have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't just come so we as a church could have the tool in the tool shed. Hey, has your church got the Holy Spirit? Yeah, he's in a closet back here somewhere. We, we put him back there with the, uh, the Christmas decorations and something that we use at Easter and uh, some other stuff we've been saving in the bus barn. That's not what the Holy Spirit is for. When the Holy Spirit comes, the point was for the church to be empowered empowered to share the gospel with everyone. Uh, trying to find my main idea here, the power faithfully to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit came. Not to make us happy. Not to make us comfortable. Not to make things easy. That's not why He came. And so... What are you doing with the Holy Spirit, huh? Leadership, responsibilities, broken barriers, giftedness, judgment, all of those work for salvation. All of those come together to bring about the salvation of the lost. I'm not 
a leader in the church to get a paycheck, to get a power trip, to have a cushy office and a nice comfortable chair that's kind of air-conditioned in there. That's not why I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. I'm a leader. Staff, y'all are leaders. Deacons, y'all are leaders. Sunday school teachers, y'all are leaders. Committee members, y'all are leaders because we together are supposed to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone. That's the purpose. The responsibilities, the fact that the barriers are broken down. Why did God break down barriers? So I can share the gospel with someone that prior to the Holy Spirit, I would not be able to share the gospel with. Giftedness. I am now able to speak in front of people, groups of, of size, and not be nervous, not be concerned. Why? Because God gifted me for that. I think I've told y'all before how that was not me prior to my calling to, to be a pastor. The idea of standing up here and talking for 10 minutes, much less 40, blew my mind. No way I'm going to do that. And yet God gifted me for that. Judgment. Sad to say, but sometimes God has to judge us to get our attention. God has to bring a darkness over our lives. God has to cover our sun and bring our moon up and make it look blood red in order for us to see He means what He says. Tragedies in our lives that God could have stopped but didn't. Those are opportunities for us to look to Him and say, God, how do you get glory from this? How do I, as your child, use this for you? Peter says here in this passage, we're not drunk. God is doing something. God is on the prowl. The hound of heaven, as C.S. Lewis called him, is chasing people down and bringing them in to the fold. God is doing something. He's saving people. Church, where are we in that process? Where are we when the Spirit fell? Where were we when the Spirit fell? Where will we be when the Spirit falls again? What are we doing? God wants to save people. This morning, you can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. It is open for you. The opportunity is yours. Will you take the opportunity? Well, Michael, what does it mean to be saved? Well, it mean, to be saved means to have your sins forgiven, to make Jesus the boss of your life. Another way to put it would be to say, well, or rather, how do I get that? How do I make Jesus the boss of my life? How do I get salvation? Admit you're a sinner. I mean, the first, first step to fixing any problem is to admit you have the problem, right? Well, your problem is sin, so admit that you have a problem. But don't stop there. I can admit it, I have a problem all day and never do anything to fix it. Admit you're a sinner and repent of your sins. Turn from those sins. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we need to confess our sins. That we need to repent and believe. John tells us throughout his gospel. And believe. 
Believe that Jesus is your salvation. Believe that Jesus is your only salvation. Believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Believe that Jesus on the cross is not only enough to save you, but it's really it's more than you need, but it is the only thing you need. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Believe that. And then lastly, give your life to him. Confess Jesus as Lord. You believe in your heart. Uh, uh, I don't have it written in front of me, and I just totally lost it. You confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. It is that simple. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, and that means you. This morning, will you call on the name of the Lord? Will you ask Him this morning to save you? Repent of your sins, place your faith in Him, believe, trust, and be saved? Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, that you loved us so much that you sent your only Son to die for our sins that anyone who believes in you can be saved. God, we thank you for that salvation. Lord, we thank you that in calling us as individuals, as believers, as a church, to take your gospel, to be the tool in your tool shed for how you spread the gospel around the world, you did not leave us powerless, but you left us powerful. You provided everything we need to share the gospel. You'll provide more than we have. You will take us beyond our own capabilities. You will break down the barriers. And Lord, we can see the lost come to know you as your son as Savior. God, may the Spirit fall on this place today. May your Spirit draw the lost. May your Spirit exhort the believer. May your Spirit prod us, push us, cajole, poke, irritate, aggravate, whatever it takes to get us to understand our responsibility that when the Spirit falls, we are empowered to faithfully share the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we have that responsibility. God, move in our hearts do that. Move in the hearts this morning of anyone who doesn't know you as Savior, has not accepted Jesus Christ. May they repent and believe today and trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Call the name of the Lord and be saved. How should you respond this morning? Maybe you need to trust Christ. Uh, maybe right now, just, just listening to me, you said, I want to I do that. I, I admit that I'm a sinner. I repent of that sins. Lord, I believe I trust you for salvation. You know, that's really all you need to be saved. There's, there's no magic words. There's no special prayer. Baptism doesn't save you. It is your repentance and belief that saves you. And maybe you've already done that, but you want to say, Michael, is that really what I just did? And, let, and, and we talk about it for just a minute, and I say, you know what? I don't know your heart, but I do know everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So yes, if that's what you did this morning, I can confidently say, you're saved if you have called on the name of the Lord to be saved. Maybe you've done that in the past and you just want to follow in obedience and baptism. It doesn't save you. 
but it is the first step of obedience and salvation. And you've never done that, but you want to be baptized, and you want to come tell me about that this morning, that's great. You want to join our church. Maybe you have seen the Spirit fall numerous times in your life, and you've ignored it as a leader, or maybe as a follower who should have led out. Maybe there's something you need to repent of this morning and you want to just come to these prayer rails and give it to God. Maybe you want to pray with me, let me pray with you. Whatever's on your heart this morning. Maybe God's calling you to go above and beyond what you think you can do. Let me tell you right now, you can't do it. You can't. Without the Holy Spirit. But if God is calling you to do it, Oh, yeah, you can. Yes, you can. So whatever your decision is this morning, whatever you need to pray about, I'll be happy to pray with you. You just want to bring it to God, that's fine. But whatever your decision is this morning, and all 200 of us have a decision to make this morning. Why? Because God's word was open. You read it. It spoke. Now, what are you going to do about it? Let's stand, let's sing, and let's do business with God this morning.